Good morning. Oh, that was weak. That was really weak. Good morning. That was much better. Good to see you guys here this morning on this brisk January 2021. It's weird to say 2021, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it just seems, it doesn't seem right. You guys that are teens, you're like, 2021, what's the big deal? Us that were born like in the 20th century, we're like, we can't believe it's 2021. But it's 2021. Welcome this morning. Good to see all your, your bright and smiling masks um, or faces. Uh, good to be with you again. Uh, just a couple things. Um, there are um, cards in front of you, and then you can also scan up here. We'd love uh, to connect with you if, if you have prayer requests, any communication with the uh, church office. Love to, to hear from you, so take the time to, to complete those cards. Um, we do give, uh, make a donation and the, the, for each card that we get. We're making donations towards Alabaster. If you're not sure what Alabaster is, see See me later, I'll explain. It builds churches and hospitals and parsonages in the Church of the Nazarene. We'd love to, to, to partner with you in that by um, making a donation just based on your completing a connection card. A uh, couple things to be aware of. The collectives are coming up, and we'll be talking. Amy will be talking about hers a little bit later in the service. We're excited about that and giving you some details on that. Uh, remember the giving boxes in the back of the sanctuary. We, we don't pass a plate, but we still believe in giving. We believe God blesses us as we give, and so we encourage you to drop your cards, uh, drop your offerings in, in the back as, as you leave. Stand with me, if you will. If you're happy and you know it, say amen. amen. You can tell you are. Let's pray. Lord, right now we just give you praise and thanks. We're thankful for this opportunity to gather. We're thankful, Lord, uh, for those who are here and those who've joined us online. Uh, we pray your blessing uh, that you will be present, not just in this place, but in the many places that um, are watching this live stream right now and will watch it in the future. Lord, we, we believe uh, that, that you have a plan and a will for us. And Lord, we, we want to live in that plan and that will. Uh, we we want to be people of praise. And right now we're going to have an opportunity to praise by lifting our voices, lifting our hands. And Lord, may, may we do this with truth. May, may these words that we sing... Uh, come from our heart, and Lord, as we sing them, Lord, if, if they're not coming from our heart, may you work within us in a way that we truly are people of praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.
providence flow I know I'm filled to be emptied again The seed I've received I will sow Amen. I love that song because the truth of it is in a congregation of this size we're all going through different things. Some of us are in that desert. Some of us are walking through the fire, in the battle, or maybe you're in the season where providence is just flowing and flowing, right? We're all in those different places. And I think also we all, we all kind of come here for a different reason. And I think that's okay. But I just want to remind you, um, this is a stage and we practice so that we can hopefully bring the Lord our best and serve him well. But we are not here to put on a show for you. I don't know, like the deepest prayer of my heart is that we are, we are all here joined as one voice together, singing and declaring the glory of God, right? I also wanna remind you that these altars are always open and these songs that we sing are really, they're really prayers, right? They're our hearts overflowing, they're just it's our prayers to melody. And so if you at any point mid-song wanna come down and kneel at the altar or sit in your seat, there is freedom here like to do that. Again, the greatest desire of my heart is that we would be here declaring the praise of God and laying our lives before Him asking for his wisdom to lead us in this life, right? The Bible says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he must ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave blown and tossed by the wind. God wants to reveal himself to us, right? He gave us the Holy Spirit to show us the, the truth, like capital T truth. Right? Do we believe in that? I am, I am kind of at this point in my life where I am desperate to know that truth. And I want more than anything for the Holy Spirit to lead me and guide me to that. I know you want that too. And I just ask that you would just use this time here and now, quiet yourself or just sing out. I know I sing loud, so you can sing loud too. <laughs> okay, there's freedom for that. Don't, don't worry about what the person next to you is thinking, okay? Just sing it out that we want more and more of God. We've had enough of getting everything we want. And we are weary of living this life just for us. And no forgive us of seeking your hand and not your face. Come and empty us, Father, we're dead.
pray together. There we go. Pray with me. Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, that we and the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Well, uh, good morning. It's great to see you this morning. Um, and, and the last time I was up here for our, for our next-gen moment, um, I, I told you that our teenagers are, have been talking about goals. What does it look like to set God-sized goals and to pursue God-sized goals? And God-sized goals are ones that benefit the entire community, but also ones that honor our God. And so a lot of people set goals, right? You've probably set different goals in your life. Maybe they've been physical goals. It's a new year. We probably have these physical goals. Maybe you've set spiritual goals. Maybe you've set financial goals. As a church, we set goals as well. Sometimes we even set financial goals. Sometimes in order to I'm not going to ask you for money here, by the way. That sounded like, a, like, a, like an introduction that we're going to take another offering here. That's not, that's not it at all. Sometimes we do, we do some extreme measures to meet our financial goals. Sometimes to meet our financial goals, we even have to give our treasure access to the thermostats in the church. Now, you can imagine what happens when we go to such an extreme measure for these financial goals, right? In fact, we actually took a picture of, uh, of what happens when we give our treasure access to the thermostats in church. And I think that you'll see. It's, it's just cold. He, Harold's not even in here. I was hoping he would, he would be in here that I could give this dig to Harold. He's family. It's okay. It's fine. He's not going to stop paying me, I hope. I should have checked with that. Anyway, we set goals. We set God-sized goals. But what do we do when we accomplish goals? We celebrate, right? Sometimes we, we celebrate by, whoops, I dropped something here. Dropped two things. Sometimes we, we hoist a trophy, right? This is from our 2016 Blast Basketball Championship, first ever for the church. Woo! Thanks for your fake cheers. I appreciate that. Sometimes we celebrate by gathering with other people. I was looking back at my, my Facebook memories, and uh, this day, six years ago, I was at the Horseshoe with 42,000 people celebrating the Buckeyes National Championship. So we celebrate by gathering and, and throwing the big parades sometimes. Sometimes we throw parties. Like... Oh. <laughs> Craig, I'll clean that up in between services, all right? But I got one more. Oh, boy, those are duds. Sometimes we celebrate by throwing parties. We do all these kinds of celebrations for our goals. And those are great things, but who are we celebrating in those moments? We're celebrating me, right? Like we're celebrating me, you're celebrating you, we're celebrating ourselves, we're celebrating what we have done to accomplish these goals, and, and that's, that's okay. But in our, in our talks and in, in goals for the teens, we've been talking about God-sized goals. We've, talk, we've been talking about pursuing goals in a different way, and we've been talking about Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah had a big God-sized goal to rebuild Jerusalem and, and to rebuild the temple and to, to rebuild the walls, and through lots of obstacles and, and hardships and details and plannings, he, he eventually accomplished his goal of rebuilding this, and Nehemiah celebrated. But their, their celebration was something vastly different than what we would think about when we're celebrating our accomplishments. You know how they celebrated? They didn't throw a parade. They didn't, they didn't throw a big, a big party. They didn't, they didn't hoist a trophy to say, look what I have accomplished. Instead, they had a massive worship celebration. It was essentially a party, but it was a party that was, that was meant to worship God, and it was a month-long worship celebration to celebrate their God-sized goals being accomplished. For, for hours, they would listen to Ezra, the, the priest, just read the law, the Torah, and they would listen to this, and then they would respond by praising God, and they would respond by repenting, and then they would listen to more, more of the law, and then they would respond by praising. It was this massive celebration of what God had done in and through them. See, when we set God-sized goals, it requires a certain amount of gratitude 
to God. It's okay to celebrate us. It's okay to celebrate what we have done, but ultimately we want to celebrate what God is doing through us and our goals. And can I tell you, as a church, especially as a staff, like, we want to be a church that celebrates our people. We talk about it frequently in staff meeting that we want to, like, we want to know and celebrate the stories of our people. And so maybe this is just an invitation just for that. If there are accomplishments, if you have God-sized goals that you're pursuing and accomplishing, man, we as a church, we want to know that and we want to celebrate that. Not so we can hoist you up on a stage and say, wow, look how awesome you are, because you are awesome, and we want to do that, but we want to do that in a way that points to God, right? That says God is working in and through us. And so maybe this is an invitation. If, there, if, if, you're, if you're pursuing goals, if you're accomplishing goals that God has set before you and, and you're doing awesome things, we want to know that. So maybe just in, in those connection cards or the online connection card, um, you can find it at our website. Like just, oh, there we go. Stephanie is quick. You can scan that. You can just throw that in there. Like, hey, I've got a, I've got a story that I want to share about what God is doing in and through me. We want to be a church that celebrates, that praises our God for what we are doing through him. Amen. Pastor Paul is going to come. Thank you, Pastor Josh. Guess what I'm hearing is the next time the Buckeyes win a national championship, you want me to preach a three-hour sermon. No? Okay, okay. Uh, Awesome. Uh, Talk there, Josh. We appreciate you, appreciate that. And uh, we're in better together. Uh, we're, We're in the midst of this series, and we've got... Four weeks, I believe, left. Finding identity and community, and we've been talking about the importance of community. Uh, We were created for community. I think we would all agree to that, that we were created uh, for connection with other people. And and God calls us to this ever-expanding, ever-deepening community. And so we're created for relationship, and we're created for relationship with God and others. And when we talk about relationship, we're not just talking about casual relationship. We believe that with this phrase, ever deepening, which is a lot less threatening than the word that I'm going to use, uh, we believe God calls us and we all need a level of intimacy in our life, that, that we need to connect at a deep level with other people. And so we introduced a, a simple formula last week that I believe is a good formula, uh, time plus a vulnerability equals deepening community, that, that when we put time into it and when, we, when we're vulnerable, uh, then our, we can create intimate relationships, we can have a deepening community, a deepening relationship with other people, and we looked at the, uh, the concept of it takes time to build rela- deep relationships, that they just don't happen in a moment. And this week we're going to talk about vulnerability, uh, which is not a fun topic, to be honest. I, who, who in here likes to be vulnerable? Nobody. I, I, I can tell you that I, I wish, <laughs> there's times in my life that I wish vulnerability was not necessary to build deep relationship. Anybody give me an amen with that, right? Uh, vulnerability's hard. And, and, and most of us don't enjoy the process of bearing our soul, of making ourselves open to other people because there's risk. Time alone, though, will not build intimacy. Uh, Intimate relationships require vulnerability. And and so we understand that a deepening community requires a deepening vulnerability. It's a step, it's a process, and we'll talk about that as we go through this sermon. But but if we want to, to live in those deeper relationships, it's not just time, but it's a deepening revealing of ourself. It's a deepening of vulnerability. Now, we've been in the the creation account the last three weeks, and we're going to be in it one more week. Next week, we're going to jump into Acts, and then the last two weeks of the series, we're going to jump into 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, God creates, God speaks and creates, and, and then we've used this verse several times. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
And then we have Genesis 2, which Genesis 1's a poem. The, the, the Bible opens with a poem in the creation poem. And then in Genesis 2, you, you have a more detailed description of creation, particularly the creation of humankind. God forms humankind from the dust of the ground and, and breathes the breath of life into them and, and then creates from Adam, Eve. And, and, and there's this personal, intimate connection in the relation with God and humankind and the creation. It's, it's, it's personal, it's hands-on, and it's risky. God creates humankind which ultimately rejects God. Now, now there's, I, I don't think most people think like this, but I, but I guess it's possible you could look at this passage and you could think that the, the fall was a big surprise. That God created humankind and, and in the fall God was surprised by that. I don't know many people that think like that. I believe most of us believe that, that God has a pretty good awareness. And, and when God created humankind, God understood that not only was the fall possible, but it was probable. And so God created with this understanding and said it was good, with this understanding that he would be rejected. And in this rejection, God would suffer pain. Do you believe God suffers pain in our rejections? I do. God understood that he would suffer pain and there would be this huge cost for reconciliation. All of this is going on in God creating humankind. God was vulnerable in creating humankind. He was willing to risk pain and rejection. Not with just Adam and Eve, but God was willing to, to risk pain and rejection throughout human history. In this room, as a result of, of that creation of humankind, there are individuals, including this individual, who have rejected God at points of their life and have caused him pain. And yet God still says, relationship with you, relationship with me, is worth the risk. Now, can I get an amen if we believe this, okay? Now, now listen close. I, I know this guy, this, other than Terry, this isn't a huge amen crowd, okay? But, but I want you to join with Terry if you think this is correct. God's pretty smart. Yeah, okay. Kind of. I think God's pretty smart, don't you? Don't you think probably God is the smartest individual ever, right? God knows, and if God assigns value to something, then God's value is right. Logically, if God creates in a vulnerable state with the realization that there'll be rejection and he's making himself vulnerable, vulnerable hard to say, uh, that there's going to be pain, I think it's fair to say that relationship is worth the risk. If God says relationship is worth the risk, then relationship is worth the risk. Um, this was actually, we were going to talk about vulnerability uh, the second week of the series. And, and you don't, you know, when, when you, sometimes you'll read or listen to something and it just throws you for a loop. <laughs> And so, as I was getting ready, and I was, doing, I was listening to an audio book by, I think it's Brenny Brown, is that how you say her name? Brenny Brown, and uh, she's got a TED Talk out there on, on vulnerability. I'd encourage you to listen to the TED Talk on vulnerability. She's got a book called Daring Greatly, and, and she is a relationship guru. She's a, she's a, a PhD that studies relationships and, and how people live whole lives. And, and Daring Greatly is all about vulnerability. And so as I was preparing this message, all of a sudden this comes into my spectrum and, and, and my reading, it wasn't even, I didn't pick it for that. I was just, okay, what's the next audio book I'm going to listen to? And so I put it on, not even knowing what it was about, and, and this topic was the subject. Brown says, connection is why we are here. We are hardwired 
to connect with others. It's what gives purpose and meaning to our lives. And without it, there's suffering. Lasting relationships, deepening relationships are why we're here. And without them, there's pain. And they are dependent on vulnerability. Think about it. Think about those closest to you. Uh, a spouse, a child, a friend. Those that are closest to you, they could hurt you in a flash. Right? You know, nearly 30 years ago, Terry and I got married. If she wanted to hurt me, she could hurt me. And yet, the relationship I enjoy with my spouse is worth it. Relationships are worth the risk. And vulnerability is necessary for true connection. It's necessary for your relationships to grow deeper. Now, let's connect this to the church. Interestingly, most of what we do in the church, if it's going to be effective, requires vulnerability. Can we just, just talk about a few practices that we typically do? Um, Bible study. If we're going to study the Bible, and we're going to be effective in the study of the Bible, I believe vulnerability is important. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's how we're to read the Bible, this, with this ideal that it can cut us deep. And, and we do, I hope all, everyone in this room enjoys private Bible study. I enjoy private Bible study. But you realize the Bible was written as a community book. <laughs> that when you go through the Old Testament, th these aren't letters written to individuals. They're, they're stories told to people. When you get through the, the, the Pentateuch, it's, it's stories told around a campfire. It's the story of God's people and told to God's people. And, and so there's this realization that, that as we read this book, we, we need to read it as community, that we read it with each other, that we read it with groups in Bible studies and Sunday schools and small groups. In, in a setting like this, we're looking at God's word together, and it takes vulnerability to read the Bible and community and allow it to change us. What about this one? Confession. Uh, we don't do this too much in here. James 5.16. Tell me if this is not a vulnerability practice. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Okay, now I want you to look at your neighbor and confess the worst thing. No, don't. Let's not, let's not do that. You know, that's a vulnerability practice, right? This ideal of confession. And this is an invitation from, from the book of James for God's people and community to be able to confess their failures and their sins. Forgiveness. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. This is a vulnerability practice. And the church is built. Our faith is built on this willingness to forgive other people when they've wronged us, being vulnerable to them. Church practices and sacraments are inherently, if, they, if you want to achieve what they're intended to achieve, they're inherently vulnerability practices. Baptism, communion, confession, testimony, praying together, singing together. These are vulnerable practices in which we bear our souls to one another. Now, when we talk about vulnerability, there's some things I want you to, to hear. Vulnerability is a process. You know, it just doesn't happen. Heard a story about a guy that he was, um, his wife went on a trip and she called and after they talked for a while, he, she said, well, how's the cat? Said, oh, the cat's dead. 
She goes, couldn't you have told me in a better way than that? He goes, well, how do I tell you the cat's dead in a better way than that? She goes, well, you could say that, that the cat got up on the roof one call, and the next call you could say, wait, we're still having trouble getting the cat down. And, and then you go through a week of trying to get this cat, and then eventually tell me the cat had died so I could prepare myself. I goes, okay, okay. He goes, how's my mom? Well, she's stuck on the roof. There's a process to this. You know, vulnerability doesn't just happen, but, but there's time and, and relationship and trust that's built. There, there's questions we need to ask. Will my vulnerability deepen my relationship with God or others? Um, here's something that happens, and I don't know if the anesthesia but as a pastor, I have visited people, and, and for some reason, I have some individuals, and if, if it's somebody that's been in this room, I forgive you, but I'll have people that will want to pull up gowns and show surgical scars. I don't want to see them. I don't care. And sometimes with vulnerability, we can just pull up gowns and show surgical scars, and it's not building anything. It's just creating separation. And so the question we have to ask, is this going to deepen my relationship with God? Is this going to deepen my relationship with someone else? Now, now it's, it's possible. I'd be very prayerful about it because I believe that this is horizontal and vertical that draws us together and draws us closer to God. But it's possible that there, there's a point of confession that, that maybe will not immediately deepen a relationship with someone, but will put you in a better place with God. But those are questions we ask. Is this space appropriate for sharing? I was at a church service one time, and, and an individual decided that they were going to um, stand up and talk about their lusting problem and begin to point out individuals in the church that they were lusting after. Awkward, right? What in the place? It's oversharing. I was in a, a prayer group one time with men, and, and uh, there was a guy that began to share some very detailed prayer requests of things going on in his life, and, and one of the older guys in the church was sitting next to me, and he leaned over to me, and he said, I think I'd have made that an unspoken. <laughs> now, we need to determine whether the space is appropriate. Generally in here, this is not created for that kind of space, typically. It's the importance, though, of small groups, of collectives, of Sunday school classes, and serve groups. So sometimes those places become the right places. Your, your small group's intimate. It's the right setting. It's the right time. It's the right relationship. The Sunday school is set up just perfectly. The serve group is just perfect. And sometimes in those places... Those become the places of vulnerability. Most of the time, those places become places of connection where you build a relationship with someone and later on you make a call, you have a cup of coffee, and you're able to share deeper. So where do we begin? Authenticity. Be real. Be yourself. I'm not saying that you have to share everything, but don't share falsehoods. Don't wear a mask. Give others permission to be authentic. More listening and love and less correction and judgment. You know, there's a mixture of courage and grace in this. Perhaps not sharing your deepest secrets, but willing to express weakness and need and fear and struggle. The truth is, most of us, our arms could be falling off. If somebody had to say, hey, how are you doing? We'd be going, I'm good, right? Anybody like that? You know, your, your hair could be on fire. How's it going today? Really good. A little bit warm. <laughs> why not then, and, and, and I think this is the question we have to ask ourselves. Why not just family or close friends? Pastor, why does this call mean that, that I have to open myself to other people? There's risk with my family. There's risk with my friends. Why does this need to be expanded? 
one of the purposes of the church. And I truly believe the church is not the church if it does not do this, is to expand to others. That's one of the purpose. That's why we're here. That's why you're not just meeting in your living room with your family. We believe that the church has a purpose. And one of those purposes is that we include others. Families and close friendships do not naturally do this. You understand? That when our families are enough, when our close friendships are enough, we naturally are gravitated. It's like a, it's like a gravitational pull that we just continue to grow deeper where we have trust and we do not extend trust outside those spheres of influence. Secondly is this, not everyone has the blessing of family. You know, I look around this church and, and quite a few of you have a blessing of family. Family is a blessing, amen? When you have people around you that love you and support you, you know, the Bible says we are blessed to be a blessing. And so the question is, when I am blessed by family and friends, how can I share that? Well, I can stand up and talk to people about how blessed I am about my, with my family or my friends, or I can share that blessing of being accepted and loved by accepting and loving someone else. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And as a matter of fact, I think we told it, we talked about it this, this summer. It's the story of Mephibosheth. It's, it's a great story just because it's a great name, right? Say it with me, Mephibosheth, right? That's a great name. Mephibosheth. Kids, say Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth? Okay. You didn't try, Cooper. That's a fun name. But Mephibosheth, you know the story. Mephibosheth is a grandson of King Saul. And after King Saul uh, dies, there's this civil war, and David becomes king, and, and which is not uncommon in this time. They, they begin to wipe out the family of King Saul, so there's no heir apparent. And eventually, there's no one left but Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth is lame in both feet. And... Um, David asks, is there anybody of Saul's family I can show kindness to? And uh, they say, well, there's this one guy, Mephibosheth, and he's lame in both feet, you know, because you don't put cripples with the king. And so David brings Mephibosheth in. And it's one of those passages, I don't know why, but it almost makes me want to shout every time I think of it. It says, Mephibosheth ate at the table of the king, and he was lame in both feet. As if the writer couldn't believe that David would extend this generosity and this hospitality to this former enemy who was a cripple. See, the church stands in David's place. We stand with an opportunity to offer people hospitality and a place even when they're lame in both feet, even when they don't have anyone else around them. That is a purpose of the church. And it takes vulnerability to do that. You know, I've been around the church long enough to know that when you truly live this, sometimes you'll get burned. Anybody ever been burned? I've, ha I've been lied to as a pastor far more than I was ever lied to as a lawyer. <laughs> you know, the stories that I've heard. I, I had a guy that came to me, and his mom must have died three times. And finally, the third time, I said, listen, you got to give me a better story. This is the third time your mom's died, okay? So next time, a new story if you want money from me. The truth is, sometimes you just get burned. And it's okay. Isn't it? It's okay. You know, Jesus chose 12 disciples. And the center of those disciples, one of the centers, I believe, you don't give, you don't give somebody you don't trust money. We let Harold take care of our money because we trust him and love him. Not because we're afraid he's going to betray us. And Jesus chose Judas. And he loved Judas, and he accepted Judas. And the night before he was crucified, he knelt down on the ground, and he washed Judas's feet. Jesus was vulnerable 
with a person that he knew was going to betray him. And he calls us to be his body. So the question is, who can you include? Once again, this is where we get to those providential relationships. It's not the easy and the natural. The easy and the natural just happens. It's the providential relationships, those relationships that God places in your, in your way where he's saying, hey, I need you to move deeper into relationship with them. Now we're going to share another collective, and Amy's going to come up and talk about this this week. All right, now here's the thing. I don't have a cool video <laughs> like last week. Um, and I've been trying to sit here and think, how could I make this a really cool advertisement that can like hook you and make you come to my class that I'm so passionate about? Um, and the truth is that's just not gonna happen. I think a lot of that is because of everything that Paul has talk been talking about for the last 30 minutes. Vulnerability is hard and that applies to marriage too. And so this is not something that is like a walk in the park. Um, yeah, sorry, I'm a little bit uh, stumbling on my words here. I, I guess I don't think that like one single class or seminar or book like is gonna be like life changing and like earth shattering, right? Maybe it is and that's cool. Sometimes we have those things and those moments, but where I think this is important is that as each couple makes the decision and that puts that one step forward that yes, this is important and we're gonna, we're gonna work to make our marriage better. I think that that just changes our attitude and it changes our spirit um, to be open to whatever like the Lord would lead us to. Now, I've also been trying to figure out why I'm sitting here. I don't get nervous for Sunday morning when I have a guitar and I'm singing, but my hands have been sweating and my heart is racing. And I'm like, why on earth am I feeling this way to talk about this marriage class? And here's why. I think it's because I hold a little bit of an unpopular opinion about this. And I want so desperately for our church to be a church that clings to that capital T truth and doesn't water it down. I talk to my friends and I say, don't you dare let me come to you and say, I just want to be happy, right? My friends know, tell me no. Don't leave me there, Mara. And I know that for you too. There's just this thing that's infiltrated into the church and, and it said, just be happy. Just chase after your happiness. And if you've changed, you're, you're a different person than you were when I married you. Praise God. Right, Chris? Amen. I mean, we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be like on this journey of betterment, right? I want to be different in a year, in two years than I was two years ago. So that's a good thing. And I want as a church to embrace that and encourage each other and speak the hard truth that maybe isn't super popular. Okay, that's why I was shaking. Um, I want to read this quote to you that um, really stood out to me. I actually found this on Instagram, but this was a couple of weeks ago. This is on marriage. If you want something to last forever, you treat it differently. You shield it and protect it. You never abuse it. You don't expose it to the elements. You don't make it common or ordinary. If it ever becomes tarnished, you lovingly polish it until it gleams like new. It becomes special because you have made it so, and it grows more beautiful and precious as the time goes by. And it's easy to read that and think of something that we might hold in our hands like Josh's trophy, <laughs> you know, but I think to think of that in terms of marriage, it's true. Like, we can't just let our marriage kind of like coast by. I mean, it's kind of like our relationship with God that if we're not actively doing things to make it better, we will just be roommates that are just kind of doing the daily duties, right? I've only been married 12 years, <laughs> but I found that out pretty quick. Um, and so it's something that takes work and it's hard. And I don't think this class is just magically gonna change your marriage, but I think that if you come to it with an open heart and say, God, I just wanna, I just wanna pursue you and your design for marriage and what you want for us, I think that God can do amazing things in our marriages as we just seek to be more like him um, and just be a betterment for his kingdom. So I hope you'll sign up. Um, it's gonna be great. Oh, and also I think we do have childcare. Is that correct? So I'm not sure if that was on the things or not, but we will have childcare. So. Sounds to me like it'd be worth it just for the childcare. 
we do believe in marriages, and, and we believe that, that we need to value them, and I appreciate Amy's passion on this topic, and I hope you will consider it. Uh, I think all of us can, can use work in our marriages and our relationships. It's not always easy uh, for, for anyone, and uh, thank you, Amy, for leading this, and we're excited about that. Um, why be vulnerable? You know, that, that, that's a logical question. Why, why not just be John Wayne, Clint Eastwood? Who, who's somebody that's really tough in the movies now? I don't, I don't know all the guys, okay? Why, why not just have this shell? Why be vulnerability? Why be vulnerable? Vulnerability can lead to pain. In our book, Brenny Brown talks about self-numbing, and, and we can do this. We, we can begin to numb ourselves to other things, and, and self-numbing ultimately numbs all of our experiences. In other words, it's just you can't just be numbed in this place. You'll be numbed everywhere. And you'll begin to not experience any relationship uh, to the level that God would want you to experience it. She writes, vulnerability is the birthplace of innovation, creativity, and change. Could it be that vulnerability results in not only relationships with others growing deeper, but also a deeper relationship with God, with mission, with all of life? Could it be we're missing connection with God because we're not being vulnerable as God gives opportunity with others? Could it be we're missing an opportunity to live God's mission because we're practicing self-numbing? Becky, I saw your post, I don't know if it was this morning, about Maddie trying out for a, a musical part and getting it. Congratulations, Maddie. Yeah, way to go. But what I liked about your post is you said she had the courage to do it. It took vulnerability to try for that role. When we sang early in the service, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. You can't live that without vulnerability. See, vulnerability moves us to more in our relationships. And I believe vulnerability, people that, that are willing to be vulnerable with others, are willing to risk and have courage and try. So what can we do? Can we go back to the cards? Maybe, maybe you just need to write it on the card. You know, there's something about speaking things that makes a difference. And maybe God's been calling you in a direction. And as I look around this room and I think about my own life, what I realize is God often puts seeds of thoughts, of, of things that he's calling us to risk and try. God does that for me, and I believe he probably does it for everybody in that room. Anybody join me and say, yeah, God will put stuff in my mind. And, and sometimes I'm just even afraid to speak it. The cards are an opportunity for you to speak it. And we won't share it, but a staff will pray about it. And as your journey unfolds, and as, as you're vulnerable and God begins to, to move, maybe you'll share your story with the church. I loved Josh's uh, next-gen moment, and it's the craziest thing. We've, we've had two weeks now of next-gen moments that are not connected intentionally with what I'm preaching. And yet, Josh, last week, Mara talked about subscriptions and the commitments, and we're talking about time last week, and then this week, I'm talking about being vulnerable enough to have some God-sized goals. <laughs> Isn't it funny how God works? What I believe is there's people in this room that God is placing things on your heart, and you just need to speak them. Put on the card. Talk to me. We'll join you in praying for the God-sized goals in your life. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful that you saw a relationship as worth the risk. That you are willing to create even though it costs you pain. Lord, even when the pain became extreme and, and there's a flood you still redeemed the remnant. And Lord, we're here because you have declared 
through your word and through the way you've, you've lived and moved, that relationship is worth it. Lord, may we live in the same way. May, may we be willing to take the risk to be vulnerable where you call us to be vulnerable. Not in our relationships with others, but our relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you'll give us trust without borders. That, that we'll be able to, to step out and follow you even when it seems risky and scary. Lord, what I've found in my life and what I've seen in others is that when we're willing to trust you and be vulnerable, you do things beyond our ability and beyond our belief. So now, Lord, help us to be people of courage, to, to be the church you intend us to be, to be a church where those who may feel unwelcome and um, uninvited other places, they feel included here, loved and accepted. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless.